pray you'd be with Trina right now as she's uh, coming and preaching this morning, that you'd just be speaking through her, giving her peace, giving her the words to speak to us this morning, and that you'd be speaking through your spirit through, to each and every one of us this morning. And I just pray all of this in your mighty name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Hey, good morning to those of you joining us online as well. I'm sure you were even louder with your good morning than the people in the room here. Lovely to be with you. I've just been over at Eagle Hawk, which has been fantastic as well. Uh, I'll start with the question that I asked them. Anyone enjoy the really, really hot weather this week? Okay, just the small smattering of you. That's right. Most of us are going to go, no, it's too hot. Um, I was profoundly grateful uh, on Wednesday uh, we had someone come and install a brand new evaporative air conditioner in a house because the original one from a house that was built back in 96 finally died. Um, so we had a few really hot days, but I was really grateful that uh, before our 40 degree day hit, we got the evaporative air conditioner installed. Um, and as Dave, the uh, air conditioner installer was on the roof, I, I was sitting thinking, I'm so glad that he knows what he's doing. Um, I'm so glad that he's not just up, at least I hope, uh, he's not up on the roof having just read a book about installing evaporative air conditioners or perhaps just watched a YouTube clip on how to install evaporative air conditioners because there are lots of things that we can learn from books and there's lots of things that we can uh, learn from YouTube clips, but installing an evaporative air conditioner on my roof is not something I want done by someone who's only read something or... Uh, watch the clip on YouTube. Uh, just as I don't want a mechanic working on my car or a doctor prodding about me or an electrician or a nurse or a builder or a dentist to name just a few professions, doing what they do based on uh, something they have read or a clip that they have watched on YouTube. The reason being is that the results can be potentially disastrous, as we can see here. So anyone, anyone remember lockdown? Yep. Anyone desperate for a haircut during lockdown and thought, I'll give it a go? That can't be too hard. Uh, so these are some examples. And we've got another slide as well here. I know. How, how hard can it be? But obviously it can be really, really hard. So um, it's not just dentists and doctors and surgeons, but uh, hairdressers, electricians, plumbers. Um, we don't want unskilled people doing these kinds of things. But it really got me thinking um, as Dave was up on the roof installing our evaporative air conditioner that what makes these people, you know, plumbers, doctors, chefs, hairdressers, uh, dentists, teachers so skilled at what they do is that they've actually worked alongside someone who is more knowledgeable and more skillful than they are. Um, so they've watched, they've listened, they've helped the person who's been more skillful. They've been instructed and watched over by the person who is more skillful. Um, and, and they've learnt these skills and this craft working alongside someone else. And as they've done that, they've grown in their ability, uh, then they can do it on their own, uh, and then they can even teach others how to do what they know how to do. And when it comes to our discipleship journey with Jesus, the same is true. It's like an apprenticeship. Or as the Bible puts it, as the word that we use is, we are discipled. And as we read the accounts of Jesus' life, and we see, we see the way that he has designed and modelled for us to become like him. 
And it's in relationship with him. And Pastor Dave really dug into that last week as we talked about that abiding personal relationship that we have with Jesus. So our apprenticeship, our discipleship happens with him, but it also happens in relationship with each other. And Jesus models this for us. Jesus lived in a relationship. I wonder if you've ever thought about the fact that Jesus didn't live as a hermit. He didn't kind of hide himself away in a little cave or a little house kind of on the outskirts of Jerusalem uh, and then just come down or, or come into town when he had some wise words to give or he wanted to heal some people. He didn't live as a hermit. What did he do? He called to himself this really diverse bunch of people, people who are diverse in their personalities. I mean, John and Peter, very, very different guys, different in their beliefs, uh, different in their, um, their job background. There were fishermen, there was a tax collector, all sorts of different things, different in their political opinions. And yet all of them called, accepted this invitation of Jesus to follow him. And they didn't kind of accept that invitation and then just kind of spend a few days with him or catch up with him once a week. But they, they did life together. They traveled together. They lived together. And they had this deep connection of unity and faith and community. And we're all uh, invited into this same level of faith-filled community uh, when we put our trust in Jesus. Our personal abiding relationship with Jesus is to be lived out in the context of community. And the biblical writers use all sorts of illustrations um, to help us understand the sort of community that this is. They call it a body, a family, a temple, a house. It's likened to a marriage relationship, a kingdom, and so many more. But all of these words, all these illustrations, these word pictures are used to describe us as the church. See, there is only so much that we can learn and experience on our own. To become more like Jesus, we actually need each other. Discipleship is like an apprenticeship where we walk alongside those who have more knowledge and experience in the ways of Jesus and who help us to understand not only what being a Christian is all about, but help us to live out being a Christian in every sphere of our life. And as we then grow in our understanding and the daily living out of life in Jesus, then we become able to teach, to apprentice, to disciple others. And this is discipleship at its core, being and making disciples. And it is why church is so important. We need each other. And part of that is because discipleship is not about information. It's not about knowing more of the Bible or reading the latest Christian books or uh, listening to the latest um, great podcast. It's not about information. It's about transformation. It's about becoming more like Jesus. And that's what spiritual maturity is, being like him, being like Jesus who we are following And we can't become spiritually mature, more like Jesus, on our own. Now, often a question comes up when we start to talk about coming to church and being part of a faith community and all that sort of thing. Uh, When we talk about the necessity of church for becoming like Jesus, a question that often comes up either out loud or in our heads can be, do I really have to go to church to be a Christian? Really, I'm okay on my own, aren't I? 
Now, for those of us who have been following Jesus for a while, we might be able to think of one or two examples of someone who has isolated themselves from church community, who's kind of gone off on their own, and they're actually doing okay. They still have faith in Jesus, they read their Bible, and they're doing okay. Having been in pastoral ministry for the years that I have been in, that is the exception to the rule. What I have seen happen far more consistently over my years of following Jesus and walking alongside others who have followed Jesus is that when a person isolates themselves, withdraws or sidelines themselves from church community, their faith goes cold and potentially dies. I have seen it happen in so many people and it happened to me. I grew up in the church. I have loved church my entire life, right from when I was a little baby all the way through the end of high school. I was involved. I wasn't just a come to, come to church on Sunday person. I was involved. I was serving. I was in ministry teams. I loved church. I loved being, I love worship. I love it all. I love the whole thing. I loved it. And at the age of 17, I moved um, from the country town I was in to Melbourne to go to university. And I had every good intention that when I went to university, I would find a new church home and I'd get involved. And I didn't. And I look back now and I still even now am not exactly sure why I didn't, apart from the fact there were lots of other great things going on. You know, I could have said, well, I didn't have my driver's license. So I could, there was lots of public, I had so many excuses and I didn't get involved. And it even now... It frightens me how quickly my faith went cold. The decisions that I made in that season of my life where I was not connected in church community led me down one of the darkest paths in life I have been down. And it happened so fast. If you had said to me, as I was coming to the end of year 12 and looking forward to university and envisioning this new life as a young adult... You know, finding a new church. If you had have said to me that my faith would run cold, that I would call myself a Christian, but I would be living as if God didn't exist, I would have laughed. I would have said, impossible. But it happened to me. I was chatting about this with some people um, a couple of weeks ago, and, and someone said, oh, I have this great metaphor for this thing that happens. And when we talk about can you be a Christian and not go to church, not be part of a faith community, we're talking about a, a piece of coal in a fire. And if, when a bit of coal is in a fire, it's hot and it's light and it's contributing to the, the warmth of the fire. But it's also getting warmth from the fire and it's also getting fuel from the fire. So it is fuel and it's getting fueled. So it's a bit of coal. What happens if you take a piece of coal out of a fire and isolate it? It goes cold. Thanks, Mike. It goes cold. And it's the same for us in our, in our faith. We can be red hot and think we're okay and we can isolate ourselves and our faith can run cold. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. But at the end of the day, we can talk about all sorts of metaphors. We can talk about coal and the fire and out of the fire and all that sort of thing. But the heart of the matter is this. Being a Christian... And not being part of Christian community isn't scriptural. It doesn't line up with what the Bible teaches us. 
Jesus and the New Testament writers all teach and all model in practical ways the essential role that relationship between believers plays in becoming more like Jesus. It's really, really important that we connect in. And I want to say to those of you who are with us online, you are connecting in. This is not just about being in a room together. It is about being part of something that is bigger than ourselves. It is about being committed to being part of Christian community. Because we are designed for relationship. You and I are designed for relationship. That is what we are created for. We are created and designed for relationship with God. And equally, we are designed and created for relationship with each other. And we need each other. Now, it's a bit awkward, really. Okay, it is a bit awkward when... Because, okay, I admit, I'm a pastor in the church. So it's a bit awkward for me to be up here talking about the importance of church and coming to church and being connected to church because it probably seems like I have a vested interest. And I guess I do because if there were only three of us in the room this morning, it would probably feel a little bit embarrassing. And it it's really nice when we've got a lot of people. It's great for a whole lot of us to be together. And I'll confess, I do have a vested interest in encouraging each and every one of us to stay connected. But it's not a vested interest because it looks better. It's a vested interest because I am absolutely convinced by Jesus' biblical model and teaching about church. I am convinced that what Jesus teaches us and shows us about relationship with one another is absolutely what he has designed for us and he has designed us for. I am convinced, I have a vested interest because I am convinced that I need you and you need me and we need each other if we're going to continue to grow and thrive as followers of Jesus. I have a vested interest because I love the church i love the church i love the church i love you i love the church i love the church because jesus died for the church and i love the church i have a vested interest this morning because i love the church because the church has been and continues to be the central and foundation sorry continues to be central and foundational in our formation as disciples of Jesus. I love the church because I know that is where each and every one of us can thrive and grow. In Paul's letter to Ephesians that Pastor Dave began to unpack for us last week, um, we heard about this reality that when we put our trust in Christ, when we choose to follow Jesus, we are given a new identity. We are a new creation in Jesus. We belong to him and we are called to abide in him. We're called to nurture and grow our relationship with him and to live out this new identity that we have in him. We do this personally on our own, but we also do it together. And it's this living out of our new identity that Paul hones in on in this latter half of his book, uh, his letter to the Ephesians. And as we think specifically today about how we become more like him, 
more like Jesus in the context of our church community. I want to focus in on just a couple of the key elements from this passage that we're going to read in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. If you have your Bible or your device and you want to get that out and read along, you can. Otherwise, the words will be up on the screen for us as well. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verses 1 to 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Everything about these words is relational. Let's look at some of the words that that Paul uses here. Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bear with one another in love. These are all words of relationship. To become more like Jesus, to grow in humility, gentleness and patience and love, we need to be in relationship with each other. And that's because it is easy to talk about being humble or even to think of ourselves as humble until we're in a situation where someone else is getting all the attention or all the glory or all the credit. Or where someone else's needs and wants are being met first. Or when we've hurt someone else's feelings or made a mistake and we have to go and say sorry and ask for forgiveness. It's easy to think about being humble. It's easy to talk about being humble. But when the rubber hits the road, it's in relationship where we find out if we really are humble. We can think and pray and read books and listen to sermons and podcasts until the cows come home that talk about being patient and gentle. But what happens, how do we actually respond when someone offends us or annoys us or, heaven forbid, says something we don't agree with? Do our words and our actions and our attitudes reflect the kindness and the gentleness of Jesus or do we bite back? Do we quickly type that thing into Facebook or whatever? And like, do we take offense or are we humble and are we gentle? We can say that we're loving. We can think of ourselves as loving. But how good are we at accepting those who are perhaps radically different to us? From those who disagree with us. For those that we just find hard to get along with. How good are we at being loving to those who are suffering and need extra care, even if it costs us something? See, we become more like Jesus, not just by thinking about or even praying about becoming like him, although those things are essential. They're a big part of it. But becoming like Jesus doesn't happen by filling our heads with more information about Jesus' humility, love and gentleness, his mercy, his justice, his grace, his kindness and his forgiveness. It actually happens when we live in the same way that Jesus lived, in the midst of our relationships with each other. 
And sometimes this is easy. It's the greatest joy of being in relationship where there's kindness and humility and gentleness and love and where we're kind of bearing with each other's faults. And I really ask you to keep bearing with mine. But sometimes it's really, really difficult. It's difficult. It's difficult to live in relationship with other people. In some ways, it's much easier to kind of just be on our own and do our own thing and and travel in our own direction. But when other people come in the mix who might offend us or annoy us or, or we might offend or we might annoy them or we just rub each other up the wrong way, there can be all sorts of conflict. Now, it would never happen here. Never. Just like it would never happen at Eagle Hawk. I've been in other churches, though, where there has been conflict. Conflict is normal, and that's why Paul talks about it, not just in this letters, but in, in, in a number of his letters. It's why he talks so much about unity and the need for kindness and grace and gentleness. It's because conflict and disagreements are inevitable in church. If you have not had conflict or disagreement with someone in church yet, you probably just haven't been here long enough. Okay, it, there will come a time when someone says, someone says something that inadvertently hurts you or offends you. It's happened to me. I've done it to other people. Conflict and disagreement are inevitable in church life. But how we deal with them is what makes the difference. The ways that we interact with each other, the ways we deal with differences and hurt and misunderstandings is essential to the health of the whole body. Because Paul's emphasis here is the fact that there is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, that's all of us in this room, that we need to be reminded again and again that as part of this new life and identity in Christ, we are bound to one another now and for all eternity. So have a look at the people sitting next to you. Have a look at the back of the head of the person in front of you. We are bound, if you are a follower of Jesus... We, you are bound together. We are bound together for all eternity. And we have to do whatever it takes to keep us healthy, to keep the unity healthy, to be healthy together. And it's difficult. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say, oh, it's just easy. You're just going to go, oh, it's all right. Sometimes it is really hard. Some of the most painful experiences relationally that I have had have been in church experiences. I think it's because we are so closely bound together that when there is hurt and conflict in this kind of, in a church setting, it can be absolutely devastating. It can be hard to be patient and gentle with those who disagree with us who have hurt us. It can be hard to be patient and gentle with people who are just not being very gentle and patient with us. But again, this is where we need each other. To be able to talk with others in our church community in whom we see gentleness and patience. To talk with someone who has been through the pain of conflict and broken relationships and has come out the other side looking and living more like Jesus. That's the gift that we have in each other to have trusted people around us who will pray for us and with us in times when we are struggling to love others is essential. 
And if you're in a season at the moment or in a situation where you are experiencing conflict with another believer and you don't know what to do or how to handle it, then I encourage you, I urge you this morning, reach out to someone else who can help you through it. A, a friend, someone who's a bit further down the track with Jesus than you has some spiritual maturity, who's been through conflict and that sort of thing, and say to them, how did you deal with it? How did you get through it? Would you help me? Would you teach me? Would you pray for me? Would you walk through this season with me? Because you see, we are meant to learn from each other. And that's what Paul goes on to talk about uh, in these next few verses in 11 to 13 of chapter 4. He said, so Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach until we, sorry, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we aren't meant to do our spiritual life on our own. Paul talks about these different roles that are given in verses 11 and 12. He talks specifically about particular roles in the church that are given to equip the body of Christ. But in verse 16, which we're going to look in just a moment, he goes on to say that each part does its work to grow and build up the church in love. See, we all have a part to play. Every part of the body is essential. When you or I choose to not participate, if we choose to isolate ourselves or sideline ourselves, then we rob the rest of the body. If you're here this morning, if you're online, and if you're in that place where you're thinking about stepping out or stepping back or not participating anymore, and I'm not talking about leading a team of people or anything. I'm just talking about being here, being part of community. When, when any of us choose to step out, we rob the rest of the body. We need each other. We need those who will disciple us and help us to grow to be more like Jesus. I've been following Jesus, apart from that little bit I mentioned before when I was at uni. All my life I have been following Jesus, and I still need people who are further down the track, who are more mature in Christ to be speaking into my life. And as a believer in Jesus, I need to be looking at the people who are behind me, not not less than me, but those who, who are newer to faith, those who are younger in the faith. How can I help them? How can I disciple them? God wants all of us to be involved. We need those who will teach us. Um, we, we need those who will encourage us and support us and love us. We need those who will teach us how to pray, how to forgive, how to hear the voice of God and walk in the spirit, how to walk through the tough times in life, how to be a follower of Jesus in our homes, in our workplace, in our church, and even when we're on our own. We need each other so that ultimately we can become mature. We can become like Jesus. I'm amazed at the words that Paul uses here. We have these different people, different people fulfilling different roles, equipping the church until, he says in verse 13, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Just want to let those words sink in for a moment. Attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Because even as I've read these words this morning, even as I've contemplated these words as I've prepared for this morning, those words have taken my breath away. 
when I think about the wonder and the beauty of Jesus, of his perfect, sinless, loving, forgiving, sacrificial life, of his willingness to lay down his life for you and for me. And that out of that, as his follower, as his disciple, there is now an opportunity for me, for you, to be transformed by him and become more like him. That blows my mind. That this Jesus who I love and who I've given my life to, who is completely without fault, who has all the patience and grace and mercy and wisdom, that I could somehow in even a small way become like him, takes my breath away. And I hope in some sense it takes your breath away as well, that we would be inspired to become more like Jesus. And again, this happens, not, not kind of in isolation, but it happens together. And not only do we become more like Jesus, but we actually become better equipped to deal with the world around us. Um, Paul goes on uh, in verses 14 to 16. Um, So we'll attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love and each part does its work. So as we become more like Jesus, I think one of the things that struck me, even as I was out at Eagle Hawk reading this this morning, is holy that we become, um, we become built up in love. I just, again, I want more of that. Do you want more of that? Just to be so full of love, love for each other and love for the people around us. But Paul says too, as we become more like Jesus, as we grow in maturity, we will become more discerning. You know, when our kids were younger, and I've got one of my kids sitting here at the moment, um, Andy and I could tell them all sorts of crazy things and they would believe us without even blinking an eye. They'd just be wide-eyed with, really? Have no idea. They were very gullible. But the older they get... And the more mature they become, the harder it is to trick them. They aren't as gullible anymore. Um, Why? Because they know more. They understand more. And they also know Andy and I well. They know us better. They know the tone of voice. They know the facial expressions and the glint in our eye that comes when we're trying to pull a fast one on them. And it's natural and right that as we grow and mature as followers of Jesus, that we will become more discerning. As we learn to hear the voice of Jesus by his Holy Spirit, as we learn to read and truly understand the Bible and spend time in prayer, we will become wise to the ways of the world, to our own flesh that would try and pull a fast one on us, uh, and to our enemy, Satan, who will try and deceive us. And, but this, again, is why we need each other so much. We get to ask questions. We get to check on what it is that we're thinking and feeling. Well, you know, when we start reading the Bible, it can be a confusing book. I'm, again, I've been reading it my whole life, and there are still parts of it that I don't quite understand. 
that confuse me and perplex me. And to be able to talk about that with other people is such a gift. There are parts that I do understand, then I go, well, what do I do with that? And to be able to talk that through with other people who are further down the track than me is something that is so, so good. We learn from each other, from more mature believers who help us discern what God is saying and doing in our lives. I'm so grateful for the people that God has put in my life, um, throughout my life, who have helped me not make some very bad decisions based on something that I just want, my flesh at work, something that Satan might be trying to lead me into, or something that I just, I, I just haven't understood about what God is saying to me. I've needed those people to help me and to train me. And even just our commitment of meeting together is, is, a, is a form of protection in a way. I wasn't exactly sure how to sort of word it, but we live in this world that is increasingly self-centered and individualistic. And I don't mean that in a in a judgmental, condemning kind of way. Um, that this is what commentators and philosophers and sociologists at the moment are just saying. Where this deepening individualistic society that we live in is just a reality of what is going on around us. And when we make the commitment to be together as the body of Christ, as Jesus has designed us for and has designed for us, we push back against what society says is now normal. And we go, no, that's not normal. We are meant for relationship. We are meant for each other. And we need to be um, committed to living out life together. We become more like Jesus as we learn from those around us. And we become more like Jesus as we disciple those who are younger in the faith than us. No matter what stage of spiritual maturity we are at, we have something to contribute. If you gave your life to Jesus yesterday... You can help someone who hasn't yet given their life to Jesus take a step towards Jesus. If you have been following Jesus for 60 years, there will be someone older in the faith than you who will encourage you and help you to continue to become more like Jesus. I love the fact that I have older, more mature believers and not necessarily older in years, older in spiritual maturity, who continue to sow into my discipleship. I'm so thankful for those younger in the faith of me who are brimming over with enthusiasm and passion and energy and questions that help inspire me to keep following Jesus. You see, ultimately, though, this is not about going to church. It's about us being the church. When we put our faith in Jesus, we become part of his body and it is part of our identity. Hey, buddy. (laughs) You see, we don't simply go to church. We are the church from the very oldest in the room to the very youngest in the room. We are all part of God's family. We are the church. It's not just about coming on a Sunday and ticking a box, though. If you've been around BBC for a while, if you've been joining us online for a while, you'll have heard us talk about relational vehicles, relational environments where we grow in spiritual maturity to become more like Jesus. And if you don't know what I mean when I talk about relational vehicles, uh, I want to invite you to come along to Journey Training uh, in March. We're going to be uh, advertising that over the coming weeks. I want you to come and dig deep into Jesus' model for discipleship. 
But these relational vehicles, they're many and they're varied. It's our big Sunday gatherings. When we get to be together like this, we get to know that we're part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We might have been in a workplace where we're the only Christian in the place. And then we come into a place like this on a Sunday and we go, oh, I'm not on my own. It's about a life group where we meet in someone's home week in and week out, where we get to know others and they get to know us, where we share the deep stuff that's going on in our lives. We pray for each other and we encourage each other. It's our ministry teams where we serve together, where we inspire each other and encourage each other. It's those smaller groups of three or four people meeting together on a regular basis, digging really deep into what God is saying and what God is doing and supporting and encouraging each other. It's those one-on-one relational environments where we sit face-to-face with someone over a coffee, over a meal, or walking in a park or whatever it is that we're doing, and we just talk about Jesus and who he is and what he's doing and what he's saying. And it might be that we're doing that with someone who hasn't even made a decision to follow Jesus yet. Or it might be with someone who is years down the track from us and we are just drinking in everything that they have to give to us to help us to become more like Jesus. All of these relational vehicles play a different role and contribute to us being more like Jesus and they're all part of what we call church. If we aren't here on a Sunday, we miss out. So congratulations on not missing out this morning. If we're not part of a life group, we miss out. If we're not spending one-on-one time consistently with, another, um, with other believers, we miss out. And Jesus doesn't want us to miss out on being in a situation and in environments where we have the best opportunity to thrive and to grow and to become more like him. So what does that mean for us today? How might Jesus be calling us to respond as the band um, comes up on stage? So here's the thing. I've, I've got these notes here and I've, I've got some things that are, as I've been praying over the week and as I've been thinking through what I've shared, what might God be saying? So I'm going to run through them quickly, but then I'm going to share with you what I feel like God's been saying to me over the, the last 24 hours in particular. So one application, one way God might wanting us to be respond this morning is, are you being discipled? Do you have someone older in your life, further down the track in, in Jesus, who is speaking into your life? Or is it that God is calling you to disciple someone? And it may be that God has brought someone to mind, someone who is younger in the faith than you. He has brought them to mind. And you're kind of going, what's that all about? I want to encourage you, whether it is you needing to be discipled or God is calling you to disciple, to make that connection this week. Whether it's a phone call or a text, maybe it's going from this side of the room to this side of the room or from here to here, whatever it is, maybe it's just walking across the room today to that person that God has put in mind and having a conversation with them. Maybe for you, the, the response at the moment is to take up that opportunity to join a life group to be in a relational environment where you really can flourish and thrive and grow. Another thing is, is there some conflict that you need to deal with? In a room this size with this many people, I dare say there is probably some niggles somewhere. <laughs> and maybe all it means is that you just, you just need to pray it through and kind of let it go 
but maybe there's a conversation that you need to have or maybe you don't know what to do. I want to encourage you, if you don't know what to do, to find someone in your life who is more mature in Jesus than you are, who is a person of of peace and gentleness and love and kindness, and ask them to help you sort through what you're feeling and what you're thinking and how to move forward. That's what's written here. The bigger question I want to ask this morning is this. What is your posture towards church? What's going on in your heart at the moment about church? Jesus gave his life for the church. And this should be a place where we are thrilled to be here where we are excited to come, where we don't turn up just because it's what we've always done, what we think we should do, because we just want to tick a box. I just sense this morning that God wants to reignite a love for his body in some of our lives. A sense this morning, even as I was praying, that there are some of you, even in this room, even online, where you've kind of been on the brink of checking out of isolating yourself, of stepping back and, and sidelining yourself. And you're going to go on, it's too hard. I've had enough. I don't like it, whatever it is. And I feel like God would want to say to you this morning, come back or don't go. <laughs> that humility of heart, the gentleness, the kindness, the bearing with one another. What is your posture towards church at the moment? And what is God saying to you about you and your involvement? I'm not talking about you doing stuff. I'm talking about you being church. I'm talking about us together. What is the posture of your heart this morning? Would you pray with me? I just want to give you a moment with heads bowed and eyes closed to, to just spend a moment Lord, we thank you for your church. We thank you that we get to be part of what it is that you are doing in this place. We thank you for your love and your faithfulness. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us this morning that you would reignite our passion and our love for your church. We thank you for all that you are doing in us and through us. Lord, we thank you that this is a place where we get to become more like you. So Lord, would you renew our heart of love for you first and foremost? but also for your church, for your body. And Lord, for each of us, I pray these words that Paul prays in Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to be him to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen let's stand and worship together Ransom, it's rain. 